Today is one day after AEW Double or Nothing, and with me once again is Robbie to discuss. Robbie, how you doing today? I am a little tired, Scotty. I'll be real with you. Um, not only did uh, Double or Nothing end around midnight last night, but it's also uh, 10 a.m. right now, so... You know, I think as we go along here, I'm going to get a little more into it. And maybe I'll get heated during one part or two, depending on how well you do your job. But we'll see what happens. I appreciate the depending how well you do your job. Uh, that Thank you. Lots of pressure there right off in the morning. As you said, 10 a.m. That's, <laughs> that's, that's early to be talking. But you know what? I think... Uh, I think this show is definitely worth talking about. And I think, you know, we're going to start with the buy-in. And the buy-in, to me, might have been the best match of the night. Like, to me, it was between this and the world title match. So, it was Serena Deeb versus Riho for the NWA World Women's Championship. Because, you know, them and AEW switched the women's and world around. So, that's a little confusing. But, man, I thought this match was absolutely killer. The crowd was hot for it. Riho was on the top of her game. Deeb was on the top of her game. What was your thoughts on it? Yes, I would say that this is one of those match of the night candidates alongside the, the three-way match that you mentioned before. And I would also agree that having the live crowd helps a lot. And this is going to be a common theme throughout the entire show where the crowd would elevate matches that would have been good without them to a grander level. So. That definitely helped. I also liked the the fact that you had Serena Deep playing the the heel to Riho's babyface because going into this match, I thought it was going to be a face versus face match, just based on their characters uh, on AEW programming. So seeing Deep play the heel in the match was very surprising—a good surprise to be sure, but definitely a surprise—and. I think that made for a more interesting uh, dynamic in this match. Oh, I'm with you 100%. And I think something that I noticed um, in Deeb's Red Velvet match is that she was playing with the heel tendencies a bit more. Now, I don't think she fully embraced being a heel in that Red Velvet match, but here, oh my goodness, did she. And I think, like you said, that made for just such a better match because, you know, Riho 
is, you know, pound for pound, one of the best baby faces AEW anyone has. Like, she's just um, so likable. So allowing Deeb to work off of that was just great. And here's here's something that I saw a lot of people saying after this match. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, a lot of people were calling Sarita Deeb one of the best, if not the best, um, wrestler um, on the side of the United States. And I thought that was stunning because, you know, Deeb's someone that was retired for the better part of the past couple of years, which is crazy. Right, that is kind of, uh, it is definitely an interesting statement to make. And I think based on just her work in the past year or so alone, I think she's earned her reputation for being a great wrestler. Um, whether she's one of the best or not, uh, that's difficult to say just because of the the talent involved, not just in AEW, but all of wrestling. I will say that, you know, based on her experience in wrestling, her having that sort of credibility shouldn't be too surprising. Um especially as a heel, like we said before, like anybody who's seen her work in WWE when she was part of the Straight Edge Society with CM Punk, Gallows, and Joy Mercury, they'll know just how effective she is as a villain. Um, I don't know if I could necessarily call her one of the best women's wrestlers in the world right now, because that, I, I think that's a, a discussion for another time, but I, I could definitely see where people are coming from. Ah, I see you called her a villain. Funny. If you know, you know. <laughs> now I, I didn't. I, I didn't. That that was an intentional. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was thinking about doing that same joke, and you actually did it, and not on purpose. So, good on you. Now, let's get to the actual main card because I feel like a lot of people forget this match just was on the buy-in, wasn't part of the main card, and you know. Like we said, with the white hot crowd, like the crowd to me, if you had to pick an MVP of the show, it had to be the crowd. It was just surreal to me seeing not only full attendance, but just such a lively atmosphere. Something that, you know, I think WrestleMania gave us an aspect, but this was different. This was everyone just packed in once again for the first time in over a year. How did you feel about the crowd all night long? I would say that for the most part, they were on fire. Um, there, there were parts of the show where I felt like the energy level was a little, it, it left something to be desired, but I think it would make sense considering that there were a couple of low points in the show and we'll get into those a little bit later, but on the whole, they've, they've enhanced the show. Yeah, 100%. It, and it made me realize how much I miss crowds. Like, you don't, to me, you know, watching wrestling over the past year, I got, I don't want to say comfortable or accustomed to no fans, but mm-hmm. I got used to it. And I definitely, I definitely took it for granted because when this all happened, I was like, oh, well, this, this just feels different. Everyone, you know, picks up their game because of this. And, the first match, more than anything, I think, showed that when the crowds are there, you know who the biggest stars are. Hangman Page versus Brian Cage. Man, to me, this was the perfect match to open with. 
um, on the main card. The only other match I would have considered probably is Sting and Darby because of the fan reaction itself. What did you think of this one, considering uh, it felt like they never slowed down? Hangman was over like gangbusters. Like It was just, it was incredible. I would say this was a good match to open the show proper with, especially when you look at the crowd reaction, especially for Hangman Page. I mean, even you know, before COVID, he was gaining a lot of traction as a as a babyface, as a fan favorite. Crowds love this guy, and now that we're back to a situation where we are having these more traditional crowds back, it's almost like it, it never left. You know, they still loved Hangman. They still wanted to see him do his thing, and I I would say that while I enjoyed this match as an opener, once again it was made that much better with the crowd there. Oh, oh yeah. Because, you know, I feel like if you do this match without the crowd, it might not hit as well for me. Like, what they were doing is that I called it, like, the big spot match where I feel like every every few seconds, every few minutes was just a massive spot. Like, we had an F5 from the top rope from cage to page. We had page catching cage on he tried to do the buckshot lariat, and instead he was caught and got hit by an F5 by page. Then we had the Team Taz run-in, and ultimately we had the buckshot lariat that allowed Hangman Page to win. So for me, you know, I don't I don't um, have everyone do match rings. I know that's not a big thing, but like to me, this is one of the you know matches that really helps set a tone. I think the first two, especially, you know, you expected a big night after all, and I think you know this first match and the next match all set a great tone, and then after that, it was a bit tough. Uh, you know, you started to get a little downfall, but. Man, it was uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. And let me ask you, do you think uh, the move, at least for you, is still to go from Kenny to Hangman in terms of the world champion? I think that's eventually where we're going to end up. Uh, obviously, Omega's going to have a few more challengers before we get to that point. But I do ultimately believe that the goal is going to be Omega versus Paige. Uh, and while, you know, Paige got the big win here, I think the big story coming out of this match was Brian Cage and his tumultuous relationship with Team Taz. Because, you know, leading into this match, Cage made the proclamation, I don't need Team Taz's help. I can beat you on my own. And obviously this left Taz and the boys a little, you know, a little taken aback. And I think that they were eventually going to be involved in the match, and that's what happened during the end. Starks tossing the FTW title to Cage. Cage looking at it, tossing it right back, going, I, I don't need your help, I can do this. And and I, by that point, he had the match pretty much in his control. He was about to win. They interfered and effectively cost him the match. So. While I do believe that Page Omega will be the goal in 2021, the bigger story is Brian Cage and where he goes now as far as Team Taz is concerned. 
How do you feel about a Brian Cage babyface run? Because I think, you know, that'll probably suit him even better considering the way he wrestles. Now, it is tough because, you know, he's this big monster. So how do you book that? But to me, there's an easy, you know, road here of you use him to either further Miro as the TNT champion or you make him the TNT champion. So I think that's really to me the basis for someone like cage and you get another opponent for omega if necessary yeah i feel like a babyface brian cage would work especially if you've watched lucha underground you've seen hints of that during the show where he was more of a hero whether it was going against batanza or someone else you know it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to turn face uh combat team Taz for a bit and then break off and do um, you know something with the TNT title like you said I don't mind the idea of a babyface uh, Brian Cage especially like you said given his in-ring style he's a big powerhouse sure you know he can you know he can do these deadlift slams like no one's business but he's also very agile for being this this sort of jacked up um beefcake for lack of a better term <laughs> so so the idea of him being a babyface isn't totally out of the realm of possibility right and you know that athleticism will only treat him better as a babyface i feel like you know when you're able to do those moonsaults and crazy dives at his size it definitely feels a lot better when he's a babyface so good point there next up was the AEW World Tag Team Championship match. A massive one in that because the Young Bucks were defending against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And to me, the idea of the fans singing along to Wild Thing was, you know, enough to amp me up for this match, let alone that, hey, we have one of the best tag teams in the world and we have the perfect duo of Mox and Kingston going at it. So... Uh, let me ask you, how did you feel about this match? And um, do you have it as one of the better matches of the night? From the moment the entrances happened, I feel like Moxley, Kingston, and the Bucks had the crowd right where they wanted them. I loved the visual of seeing all these people in attendance, this packed crowd seeing Wild Thing as Moxley and Kingston made their entrance to the crowd. Funny little thing, you know, if you look close enough, you could see Moxley and Kingston carrying the shoes they stole from the Bucks on Dynamite. Just, And I thought that was a funny Great little... Touch. It was a funny little touch. And uh, when the bell rang, I think that you were given a very solid tag team uh, championship match. You could argue that maybe it went a little too long. Maybe they could have shaved it down a little bit, but I, I was I was seldom bored during this match. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, at one point, I just realized it was going maybe just a tad bit too long. But like, that's a nitpick. That's a nitpick for me. Um, I think Moxley and Kingston work so well in terms of the babyface tag team, like. There were so many times that the Young Bucks were just pissing me off, which is their job, so that's good by them. I feel like a lot of people forget that that's the purpose of a heel nowadays. Like, you're supposed to get pissed off by them. And you just wanted Mox and Kingston to steal those titles. 
And that's the beauty of a good match. You know, when the baby faces can get to a point where you're not only feeling bad for them, but hoping that they can pull off the massive win. My only legitimate gripe, though, with this match is the interference by uh, Gallus and Anderson, which was quickly cut off. But this was now the second match in a row where we had some sort of interference, and it certainly was not the last on the night, as we have two more matches to come that had pretty, pretty big interference, at least I thought. But again, that's just a nitpick. Overall, I think what the Young Bucks are showing is that they may be, to me, I prefer their style as heels because they're just so hateable for so many people around the world. Why not embrace that? Um, how, do, how do you feel about them as heels? Um, as baby faces when they started, I liked them enough. I definitely enjoyed their matches. Whenever they had a big title match coming up, I knew that it was something to watch. But I never felt as though I was attached to the characters, but more so the matches they were involved in. When they turned heel and joined Omega and the Good Brothers and Don Callis, things took a turn for the better. Because now you have the Young Bucks being very obnoxious, uh, very arrogant, and you could, and you heard the talking heads like Paul White in those video packages saying, you know, they've ignored or thrown away what brought them to the ball game in the first place. And that's true. You can definitely see how disingenuous they've become as these heel tag team champions. And even before AEW, if you watched their work in New Japan and Ring of Honor, etc., I feel like most fans would agree, even those that love the Young Bucks, regardless of their position, they'll agree that they're better heels than baby faces. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, you look at their Bullet Club time. That was always, uh, to me, pretty enjoyable. And uh, in our in our last word group chat, Will pointed out that they were really embracing the 90s Sean-type character and look which for a lot of people would piss them off because 90s Sean was just a great heel. So I thought that was a good little uh, thing to point out. Uh, but yeah, to me, the match was great. And I, I I don't know if this was just a me thing, but like the way the match ended, I could very much see Moxley taking off a little time seeing that, you know, um, Renee is having their kids soon. So the way they ended it with the multiple knees to the skull definitely could give him, you know, a month or so off if they wanted to. Yeah, I would say that 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 seems to be what they're doing. If what you're saying is true, that he's going to take time off to, you know, be be a supportive husband and father. Uh, what also surprised me was not only did Moxley take the pin, but he was the one who was on the receiving end of most of the Bucks' offense. And he was the one who eventually got the hot tag to Eddie Kingston, who came in like a house of fire and was taking care of business like he should have. That surprised me because you know, if I was going into this match, I would have thought it would be the other way around. I would have thought that Kingston would be the, the face in peril and him having to claw his way over to, to his side to tag in Moxley. So that was a 
that was surprising, but a good surprise. I like Eddie Kingston. I like what they've been doing with him as a babyface recently. I think that he's been able to show more of his personality there. And if the idea is that Moxley is going to take some time off to be a parent and Kingston's going to be the one to stick around for the long term, this was the best way to do it. And the vibe that I also got, you know, you pointed out how it was Moxley who was taking a lot of the punishment and it was Kingston who was the baby face tag and the hot tag and all that, is that Kingston could very well be set up to be Omega's next massive challenger. Uh, you know, I think that's a match that everyone would definitely, you know, be into hook, line, and sinker. And I think that's the beauty of who Kingston is as a performer. And I think Kenny's doing fantastic heel work that that match could easily be, uh, the main event of all out and no one would complain. I know that's a little ways down the road and this will likely be, you know, the Kingston Omega potential match will probably be a you know, fighter fest or uh, fight for the fallen type thing, but that's just something I think to keep in mind because uh, I know you are you are a fan of the Moxley Kingston match, and while their relationship probably helped enhance that, I think Kenny and Eddie could have a great match as well. Oh, dude, just the promos they're going to have if that's the direction they're going; those alone are going to be fantastic, especially when you consider those. The, the contrast of personalities that you have at play here. With Omega, there's definitely a more outlandish, almost cartoony, movie villain style way that does his promos. I think anybody who's seen his promos will, I guess, understand what I'm, what I'm talking about here. He's very much um, an outlandish promo when he's a heel. Meanwhile, Kingston is very gritty. He's very grounded. But he's never boring. You know, everything he says comes off as real. So when you have this sort of contrast between a, you know, the, the sort of animated villain and a, a working class hero type, it, it'll make for a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, and him not having backup only enhance that as well. Now, let's move on to the Casino Battle Royale, where... Uh, the winner would earn an opportunity for the AEW World Championship. And let me just add, so before we uh, get into reviewing, I want to remind the people that both me and Robbie predicted Christian Cage to win this match. And Robbie predicted Nick Gage to be the Joker. I predicted Rich Swan. We were all wrong. We suck, dude. <laughs> now, that being said, I think the way they went with the winner especially was brilliant i think it made for a very special moment that you know in aew history will be remembered for a very long time now the winner of course was jungle boy but there was a lot going on here which is the purpose of a battle royal how did you like the uh battle royal and eventually jungle boy coming out on top um going into the battle royale I knew exactly what it was going to be like. I wasn't expecting a technical masterpiece. I wasn't expecting everybody to go Broadway the entire way. It was this is a chaotic, frantic match where you know a, you can expect a bunch of surprises. You can expect temporary alliances made, and uh, 
hopefully a feel-good ending, which I think that AEW accomplished on all fronts when doing this match. I like the idea of Jungle Boy being the one to emerge victorious. I think that as much as I like Christian Cage, and I do, and I feel like eventually he's going to have a title program down the road, it was good to finally have Jungle Boy get his moment in the sun, especially when he's had these big matches and always come up short. I think that him winning the Casino Battle Royale was a very good, um, I wouldn't say end to the feel-good story, because obviously Jungle Boy has a long ways to go as far as his career goes, but it's it's a it's a high note. What was the most telling to me was, you know, when we got to the final two, it was Christian Cage who was getting booed in uh, in honor of you know Jungle Boy instead. Like I was stunned now because you know Christian Cage, as we know didn't wrestle for seven years. Like I thought he was going to come back and have all this hype. And he did, you know, his entrance, he was huge. Like everything he was huge for, but when it came down to him and jungle boy, it was all about the new blood, which I guess is really good to see. Now, if they had to call an audible, Oh, well, um, I think Kenny and jungle boy are going to have a showing. I think that, Jungle Boy is only going to look better and better every single time he gets these opportunities. And I do want to note that the Joker was Leo Rush. How did you feel about uh, Leo Rush being the Joker? I think uh, this could give him a potential good amount of matches in AEW if he does stay around, seeing that uh, he's wanted to fight Darby Allen and the likes of a Phoenix for a long time. So what were your thoughts? Uh, obviously, didn't expect Leo Rush to be the Joker in this one. I didn't even know that he was even in talks with AEW to do appearances, but I didn't mind it. I liked it. I like Leo Rush. He's been doing some great work on the indies ever since he left WWE, especially for GCW. Uh, great wrestler. I don't think that he was nearly as successful as he should have been in WWE. I think that leaving that company and going off and doing his own thing was. The best thing that could have happened to him. And also, him being the Joker card entrant in this match was was perfect. And I, I know it's gonna sound like I'm like like I'm talking smack about Leo Rush. I'm I'm not, but I feel like a, a spot like that should belong to somebody who's popular, but not necessarily a a, a top tier like superstar caliber wrestler like like a Brian Danielson or Samoa Joe which were some other names I've seen floated around online before the show. And while I certainly wouldn't mind seeing either of those guys in AEW, the thing is, is that with this Casino Battle Royale, not only is it not the main event or one of the featured matches of the night, but you also have to share real estate with other wrestlers, which diminishes your presence in the match. So it's not like the Royal Rumble, where the Royal Rumble match is the is the focus match and you could have just about anybody debut in there, especially somebody like an AJ Styles many years ago. This is a match where if you're going to have a surprise entrant, they should be popular, but I don't necessarily think that they should be on the level of a, of a Danielson or a Joe. Uh, 
I like Leo Rush once again, but I don't see him on that level. So him being in this match as the Joker, perfect. And once again, I know it sounds like I'm I'm sliding him a little bit. I, I'm really not. I'm just sort of looking at it realistically and seeing Leo Rush as the perfect uh, candidate. Perfectly well said. Like, I didn't think about that uh, during the match or after. And I think that is definitely a really good take there because I agree that you don't want a Brian Danielson or a Samoa Joe or even an Andrade to debut in such a match. Like, I feel like those three names especially uh, are so big for others that, like, Maybe a casino battle royale where it's not at the level of a Royal Rumble would be like, oh, well, okay. And then you kind of move on. So I'm with you there. Uh, I think that was a uh, really good point. But happy for Jungle Boy. And now let's get to the worst match of the night. I mean, I, I don't know if it was your worst match of the night. It was certainly mine. It To me, this match killed the crowd and sent the show down a tough road like here's my comparison to what cody rhodes versus anthony gogo did do you remember when the undertaker streak was broken uh yes vividly and the crowd was dead after that yes uh yeah mostly because they didn't expect it i mean it made for a big moment but yeah it definitely uh, killed the mood right so while this match had nothing in the sorts of um, epicness that the streak ending was, I got the exact same vibe and sense of the crowd was killed from this match. And it's because of the way it went. Cody Rhodes, the American dream, whatever you want to call him, fighting off with Anthony Gogo, a man that was only had two wrestling matches going into this, but you knew, you knew, you knew that AEW was really high on him. So to me, this was a big match for him. And I was like, okay, while we both picked Cody to win, I felt like I felt like a go-go needed it the more the night went on, the more the match went on. I don't know if you got that feeling, but man, I just thought this sucked the life right out of the building for a bit there. Like the the two matches after this, I think really suffered from that. And it wasn't until the end of the women's title match that the fans got back into it. Now, I don't know if you think the same. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. And no cursing at me this time. Okay. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll be on my best behavior. Um, yeah. When I was looking back at this match, just to put down some notes, I was surprised that this match went almost 11 minutes. because. To me, it felt twice that. It just, I, I felt as though I grew a second beard watching this match. <laughs> not, not, a, not a good match. It, it, this was a fine TV match, I, I guess, maybe. But when you're talking about a pay-per-view, especially the first AEW pay-per-view with a more traditional crowd, you expect something at least a little bit better. And I don't think we've gotten that. And I do think that it comes down to a couple of things. First off, Anthony Agogo. I like him enough. I think there's a lot of potential there. But you also have to keep in mind, 
he's still fairly new to this. He's only been he's only been doing this for like what like a year and a half or so. He's still very green. So the idea of putting him in this match, you would expect them to protect him a little bit better and make sure that he's showcased in a positive way, which I don't think that they did. I think that they didn't do him very much justice. I also, you know, with Cody Rhodes, he got a great entrance when the match before the match started, which is great for him. But man, it's like, okay, the entrance is great. Then the bell rang. And that's when this match kind of fell off a cliff. And, you know, it, it sucks. I feel like I want to muster up more energy, but it's not like me talking about the, the promo that Cody cut, right? Where it just like made me feel insulted. This just bored the hell out of me. And I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. So if, if at nothing else, I feel like I can at least get some sort of comfort knowing that I didn't suffer alone. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy you didn't suffer alone. Yeah, I got to suffer right there with you. To me, a lot of it was flat. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, but like the American dream aspect, like that, of course, did not play into it at all. He just got called the American dream one time, and that was that. And then the end of the match just happened. Like, when Cody hit the vertebraker, I was like, oh, cool, Gogo's going to kick out because we've seen Cody hit the vertebraker before. That's never won him a match. That I don't I don't recall that ever winning him a match because, you know, it's always been crossroads or bust. Like, that's just how finishers work. And then when the vertebraker was hit and a Gogo didn't kick out, I was like, oh, okay. So that's, this is how we're doing it. And... Mm-hmm. A go-go hit multiple strikes to the stomach on Cody, right? That, yeah. that ended <laughs> everyone else in every match that a go-go's had. I know it's only been two, but they've also sold it in his non-matches that that was like the debilitating punch. So when he hit it right off the gates, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, go-go's going to win this right now, just exactly how I wanted it. And then Cody kicked out. And that's that's where the fun ended. And it it was just I think you saying it was a TV match is great. I want to go one step further and say a dark elevation match is what this could have been. Uh it just wasn't good at all. Should not have been a pay-per-view. So I was being generous calling it a TV match. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you sure were. It just, it didn't, like, I watched a better match on Dark Elevation this week. Like, that's that's what I got, got out of it. Like, I watched Rocky Ramiro and J.D. Drake have a better match than what I saw here in the main event. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, those two are uh, professionals, and they're great, and debatably both better than both guys in this match. But, like, for a pay-per-view match, you need to deliver – and I think it's it's wrong to fault a go-go. And it's also kind of wrong to fault Cody because, to me, it was the length. The length was just ridiculous here. Like you brought up, like, I would have thought this went five, six minutes um, of just, like, back and forth. Or, you know, a go-go hits him with one fist and it's over. 
And they very rarely played with the rib injury of a go-go too, which, I mean, I guess you want to stay away from that if it's legitimate, but I don't know. This is pro wrestling. You, you're supposed to work with the injuries you know about. Yeah. Uh, shit. Um, the, the idea that a go-go's finished that, that punch was not protected very well at all in this match made it even worse to me. Because, like you said, whenever he nails that punch, he wins. Or he's or he's the one who keeps his opponents down for an extreme length of time. Like, think back to the Austin Gunn match, right? Like, you know, Austin Gunn had a very spirited performance, but what happened? A go-go caught him, and there he is, bleeding from his mouth, being unable to really continue the match. It's It should be something that you protect very much like... Omega's one-winged angel or Pac's uh, black arrow. You want to make sure that these finishing moves are protected so that you know, the crowd understands, oh, he hits so-and-so move. When he hits so-and-so move, he wins the match. And I don't think that this match did that any favors. And I also think that in addition to everything else that we've talked about, the, 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 the Cody-verse as I've as I've been apt to call it, and I've seen that coin term <laughs> in other in other internet circles, that this Cody verse where you know his storylines kind of exist in their own bubble, it's easily the weakest part of AEW programming. It just feels very self indulgent. I don't really think anyone's gotten over to an extreme degree. You can probably argue Darby Allen did, but I would argue that he was over even before this. It was just a formality for him to beat Cody Rhodes for the TNT title when he did. Uh, I, it, it just feels like it's so divorced from everything else, especially when you look at everything else the elite, the rest of the elite has been doing and how engaging or fun those angles have been. And then you look at what Cody's doing in his own universe. Yeah, I, I look... I don't know where you go from here. I guess you could probably run back Cody a go-go down the road. He's already beaten QT Marshall, so you already beat the the, the leader of the pack. Do, do, do you? What do you do? Do you put him up against Aaron Solo or Nick Camarado? I, I I don't know what you do from here. So I feel like I was left with more questions than answers when the bell rang. Yeah, I got a lot of gripes with Cody as of late. And it's sad because I can openly admit, for me, when Cody left WWE and went to Ring of Honor and Bullet Club or whatever as the American Nightmare, I loved it because I always thought Cody was really good in WWE. I thought he got a raw end of the deal at the end. But ever since he got to this AEW stuff and ever since he lost his match to Jericho, I have just been completely off the Cody train. Like, it feels like, and I know you want your biggest stars on pay-per-view. I understand that. But it feels like they try to make things out of air. The last time that I felt Cody had a legitimate something was with Pentagon. Do you remember that? I feel like a lot of people forget that. That's when Pentacess starts started. And they just kind of dropped it. Like, Cody beat Penta, but Penta then beat him up after the match, and then they just 
let it go. And I was like, what, why? I thought that was, you know, a way to elevate Penta. And clearly we know who would have won the rivalry anyways, because we watch a go-go lose here. But I don't know. I thought that was interesting. And I just, you know, you say the Cody verse thing and how everything he does is kind of not part of AEW. And that is so agreeable because this to me was the outlier from the show. Like this didn't feel like AEW content. It felt like, I I don't know, WWE content. Like a lot of people compare him to Triple H because of uh, he wins no matter what. And it's hard to, it's hard to disagree sometimes, especially after uh, a win like this. I don't know if I can necessarily compare Cody to Triple H, especially during that sort of early to mid two thousands era when he was with Evolution and managed by Ric Flair. I, I don't necessarily think you can make that comparison until Cody opens these shows cutting a twenty twenty five minute promo. Let me tell you something, Scotty. Don't if you Scotty, if you want if you want your, your love of wrestling to be tested, watch one of those promos from Raw. It is it's it's grueling. And I watched those promos live. I don't know if you if you did, but I promise look, you, I will not be going back to watch these. Good, maybe maybe that's a column idea. Maybe you could talk about how. Uh, no, no, don't. I'm not going to plant these ideas into your head. I don't want to. I don't well, want you to hate yourself. You know, you know, it's funny. You could just do the Cody I'm an American promo instead. I guess you can do that. I guess that that's a good way to get yourself. I think you should write about that. I think, um, you know, you had a lot of colorful words that resonated with a lot of people from that. So, well, that's just me. That's just me. Now, I guess when I when I said the Triple H thing, I vividly just remember him beating CM Punk when CM Punk was at the top of his game, and that still angers me to this day. But you know, whatever. Why do Why do I get so worked up? The rest of the show was good after this. I guess I just shouldn't care. Yeah, um, yeah. It, please, please don't go back and watch those promos. Don't, don't even do it out of curiosity. <laughs> and, and, don't, don't ask, and don't ask me to like write about Cody's American promo because, like you said, you have enough material on your show to, to last you. Just, just point, just point your listeners in the direction of the show and go, and go. Hey, here's my 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 part time podcast co host going completely off the rails. It's funny <laughs> shit. I promise you. All right, one word of how this Cody Agogo match made you feel, and then we'll move on. Um, I'll give you two. Uh, wet fart. You know. All right, that's that's perfect. Now, speaking of wet farts, let's get on to Miro versus Lance Archer. And to me, to me, when it comes to letdown of matches, this was my letdown, and I I don't know why. I think I was still reeling from the Cody Agogo match. I was just like, Ugh, I'm so out of it right now. And I think the fans were out of it too because, you know, Miro and Lance Archer, I think, could put on a lot better match than they did here. And I think the crowd could have helped them a lot more. And I don't know. I This match was clearly a way to get Miro over. And as a Lance Archer fan, I was a bit upset at the end, but I understood it. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, the TNT Championship match? 
Yeah, uh, very underwhelming. Uh, like you said, given the talent involved in this match, I expected a little bit more. Miro, when he's on, he's very good. I would say that he's even great. Lance Archer, I'm a fan of. I enjoy his, you know, his intensity, his skill. So I would have expected this match to be a lot better than it was. And it just wasn't the case. If anything, Jake Roberts' um, involvement in the match was the highlight. Yeah, when the snake got thrown, that was awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the thing was is that I, I, when that happened and you saw Miro swinging the sack over his head, I'm like, he's not going to do it. He's not gonna, He's not going to. Oh, he did it. <laughs> he, he yeeted the, the bag onto, through the ramp. Like, what the hell is this? Poor Damien. Poor yeah. Damien. It, and and when I saw that, I immediately thought back to when Jake Roberts was wrestling for the World Wrestling Federation, and he was having that feud with Earthquake. I don't know if you've ever seen the clip, but during this feud, um, Earthquake attacked Jake on an episode of Superstars and had him tied up in the ropes. Now, while Jake is helpless in the ropes, the, the sack that contains Damien, his snake at the time, was laying right in the middle of the ring. And here's Earthquake stomping around the bag, like doing his signature pose because that's what he did back during those days. He would just stomp up and down to really, you know, give the impression that he was this big, larger-than-life uh, character. So after he does this, he runs the ropes a few times, jumps up in the air, and crushes the bag with the snake in it. It's and and you could hear just like. Just, just the horror in the crowd. And to top it off, he does it multiple times in the same segment. It is, like, imagine being a kid that was watching this. This would have traumatized you. Like, this along, like this is probably one of the more traumatizing segments in wrestling history, right alongside Jake Roberts sticking his snake on Macho Man's arm and the snake biting down on, on his bicep. And yes, I understand uh, the irony of Jake Roberts being part of two traumatizing segments during a similar era in wrestling. It's not lost on me. The irony is not lost on me at all. <laughs> but that, going back to that, that snake segment from back in the day, I remember reading that the World Wrestling Federation got in a lot of hot water with PETA and a lot of these animal rights groups. And understandably so. It, it wasn't a real snake, obviously, but it was something that was a cause for concern back in those days. And um, <laughs> it, it's, it's funny looking back at that now and watching Jake's um, more modern shoots. D do you know how they managed to do that? How they managed to get that, that, that sack looking as realistic as it was? No, I do not. I was wondering that the entire time you're telling me this story, hoping okay. it was a real snake. No, it wasn't. It was actually, according to Jake, it was women's pantyhose filled with hamburger meat, and they had a little uh. mechanical and they had a little mechanical device inside said pantyhose, so that it would look so that it would vibrate and it would look as though there was an actual animal in the bag. Uh. And, yeah, and so when Earthquake jumped up and sat down on the bag, blood would seep out because it was raw hamburger meat. That's the way it was done. The heck thought we were going to talk about earthquake on this show, huh? No, hey, come on, I mean, are, 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 come on. Are you going to talk about earthquake 
ever on, on wrestling with Edwards? Nah, nah, there wasn't a chance, but I guess I am now. And, yeah, see? You know, it's funny because uh, Jake the Snake was on the um, recent Dark Side of the Ring with about Ultimate Warrior, and they were talking about how <laughs> he was going to win the world title. And, like, I watched it, and I was getting angered at the thought of that, that he didn't get that opportunity. As we know, it just never happened. And, man... I'm happy Jake had this moment, and I'm happy Jake's better from where he once was. Like that's that's what I thought about when I saw him walk out there. I was like, think about where he was just a decade ago. This didn't seem possible, and now he's not only on Dynamite every single week, but he's on the dark side of the ring. He's doing all these things that are great to see. You know, a topic which, you know, we're just kind of going off on a little tangent here, but I think it's necessary, is legends in wrestling don't last nearly as long as they should. And Jake has talked about how he didn't expect himself to last either. And I'm very happy he did. I'm very happy he's still around because, man, Jake is just one of the best promos still, which is just incredible. And I think he adds a lot to Lance Archer's act. That being said, Miro's destruction of Lance Archer hurt me inside, and that's that. Yeah, that 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 was the probably the worst part about it because now it feels as though Lance Archer has developed this reputation for being a a, a choke artist, kind of similar to what Big Show was when he was challenging for the WWE Championship later on in his career. He was this big monster that would mow down everybody in his path would assert his authority over those people, would climb his way to the top or close to the top, and just completely fail to win gold. And this was another situation where that happened. And I don't know how much you want to put him in that position, because I feel like big monsters in wrestling, whether they're faces or heels, should be relatively protected. And I don't, and as much as I like AEW, I like it more than I don't. They haven't been doing Archer very much justice. I even say they're doing him dirty, and it's upsetting. That being said, I don't know if Lance Archer will ever get his day under the sun as champion, which is tough. You know, he's old, he's on the older side. Uh, he's clearly not going to be winning the TNT championship. And I don't think he's going to be winning the AEW World Championship. So it's tough. It's kind of upsetting. But, hey, I think uh, I think there's still a lot there for Archer, and I hope somehow, some way, they are able to figure it out. But, hey, you're building up Miro to be this big, massive heel. That's the good I'm going to take from this. Because whoever ends up be- beating Miro down the line is going to get a massive, massive uh, – push because they're building him up to be this unbeatable monster and i think that's something you need in wrestling now would i have had him beat another monster not necessarily or at least not yet but hey whether it's a brian cage or a hangman page or maybe even a jungle boy like i'm just thinking of all the uh upcoming baby faces i'm definitely missing someone potentially someone that debuts like they're gonna get a big big credit from beating miro and i think that's 
what's so great about the booking for Miro overall is that you want to be able to aid a baby face down the line. Yeah, I would agree. And as far as potential challengers for Miro are concerned, I feel like, you know, they, they there definitely are some possibilities. Brian Cage comes to mind if he does break away from Team Taz and do his own thing. I don't necessarily think they're going to run back the Miro-Darby feud this soon. I think later on down the road they could. Jungle Boy makes a whole lot of sense, especially if Jungle Boy... You know, I don't know how far ahead they're going to be doing the Omega-Jungle uh, Boy title match, but if they do it ahead of time, you could have a situation where Jungle Boy pulls up the big upset, beats Miro for the TNT title, and then you can have a champion versus champion match down the road. Again, this is sort of a fancy booking situation, but... Uh, Kenny and Jungle Boy is in two weeks. Oh, so... Okay, so in that situation, probably not that, but I guess as far as uh, Miro's future challenges are concerned, Brian Cage, probably the one that interests me the most. Yeah, who doesn't love, uh, as Big E once said, two... Two meaty men slapping meats. That that is what Biggie said, and I I have to quote him on that. I don't want I don't want people to just assume that's something I said. Uh, actually, you know what? Assume whatever you want. I think it's hysterical. You're worried uh, about me dropping an f bomb that's going to get an explicit rating? No, it's you, it's you, it's you talking that, that nonsense. Uh, well, let's move on to the AEW Women's World Championship match. Hikaru Shida. The champion for now over a year defended against maybe the most over talent on the show, Dr. Britt Baker, DMDN. To me, this was the match that got everyone back into it. And I was expecting that as soon as they announced it because a credit to Britt, she is so over. Um, I don't think she's, you know, the strongest in ring performer, but you don't always need to be that. We've seen that in the history of pro wrestling what she has is her character and her character has won so many over the only thing that i walk out of this that i'm sad about is what they do with sheeta next because as we talked about on the preview episode sheeta has been the uh everything the AEW women's division needed and i just hope that they don't lose her in the shuffle that being said how do you feel about Britt Baker's huge win here and the match overall? Very well-deserved on Britt Baker's part. She was the first ever women's signee to the company. And I thought that, you know, that early on that she would have been the one to sort of build the company around. She would have been the first women's champion for them. Didn't turn out to be the case. When she started, I saw someone who was, was pretty good, not 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 great, not fantastic, but pretty good. Definitely could use some time to improve. And in the past year or so alone, she has definitely come into her own as the self-important doctor, Doctor Britt Baker, DMD. Really been liking her stuff on the mic as well as in the ring. I feel like even as a in-ring competitor, she's stepped up her game a lot, and. I feel like if there was ever a moment for her to win the women's title, it would have been here. And fortunately, AEW thought the same. My question is, 
what do you think's next for Sheeta? Because they did a really good job, I think, in actually protecting her in this match. So uh, for those who may have not seen it or need a refresher, um, Rebel got the attention of the referee. Britt introduced the title belt into the match, giving Sheeta the curb stomp on top of it. It allowed Sheeta to kick out. But immediately after that, she put on the lockjaw, which resulted in Sheeta tapping out. I thought that was a great way to protect Sheeta, do the heel uh, win for Brit. And for me, I wonder, you know, will they will they realize with Sheeta now not champion, they really do need to keep uh, more than just the women's title storyline going for the women's division. I hope that is the case because they have so much talent. And if they wanted to do... You know, a best of series with, say, Sheeta and, I don't know, Chris Statlander or Riho or have Sheeta chase Serena Deeb. Like, there are so many good things to go down here. And I think that's something to care about. And I, you know, I guess that's the beauty of wrestling. You just kind of hope everyone can be involved, which is impossible with so much talent and not nearly enough time. But I'm hopeful that Sheeta doesn't just, you know, fade off for a month or two. Yeah, same here. Especially when you consider the caliber of wrestler Hikaru Shida is. You don't want to put her on the back burner, at least not for very long. As far as what she can do next, now that she's no longer the women's world champion for AEW, I, I do find the possibility of challenging Deep for the NWA women's title very interesting, especially if that leads to a big pay-per-view match or two down the road, because I can see those two having some very good matches together. Outside of that, it's difficult to determine what she could do next. It's, you know, I would say that if AEW had plans to introduce women's tag team titles, that could also be a possibility, but you know, that's just rumors that at this point, we don't really know for sure what they're doing as far as new titles are concerned. Uh, I would say maybe Shida takes a break from AEW programming, goes to Japan and maybe works some matches there, but the, the COVID situation over there isn't, it, it's, it's dicey for lack of a better term. So I, I don't know if that's a possibility at this point. Just say you hope she ends up on Choco Pro. Just say it. The only, she was only on there once and it was as a referee. <laughs> I know, but you want the match. That it's fair. I want the match too. No, I'm I'm with you. Just just it's okay to admit it. Hey, put her up there. Put her up against the uh, Mesaruga, Aki, possibly. Maybe get somebody from outside of Gato Move to to have a match. Whatever the case may be, I would be down for it. But that's just that's just me talking. <laughs> and there's one last thing I wanted to add here. If Thunder Rosa isn't in the face of Britt Baker as soon as Britt Baker shows up on Friday, what are we doing here? Yeah, you would think considering the blood feud that they had earlier this year, as well, I guess late uh, last year, because that feud really began in the fall of 2020. So, yeah, I would like to think that given their history, that a title match would be in the, in the works. And you know, Thunder Rosa won their last match against each other. Like, I feel like a lot of people forget that Thunder Rosa won that 
unsanctioned match. I know hmm. Britt's the star, and she had the crimson mask, which is just like one of the best images in wrestling all year. But like, come on, Thunder Rosa won. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, uh, and that's not even something that you have to dig deep into to find a story because it's already built in. Hey, Thunder Rosa beat Britt Baker. Britt Baker is now the champion. Thunder Rosa can say, "Hey, I beat you. I'm coming for your title." Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose also will probably get a match saying that Nyla Rose is the one that beat Britt Baker in the Eliminator Tournament. So just to make note of that, too. So already two challengers for Britt right out the gate. They can also do the rematch with Sheeta, um, which they I guess they probably will at one point or another. Now let's turn back the clock, Robbie. I know this is a big one for you as mm-hmm. someone who witnessed WCW in its heyday and final days and also took in tna at a time or another sting and darby allen versus scorpio sky and ethan page i will first off say this was a match i was not really looking forward to and that had nothing to do with sting and darby allen and everything to do with scorpio sky and ethan page that being said this was the match that uh surpassed my expectations and almost Every single reason had to do with Sting. So, you know what, Robbie? I will let you speak on the icon known as Sting. Okay, so going into this match, didn't really know what to expect from Sting as far as an in-ring performance was concerned. What I didn't expect was for him to take a dive onto Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page, rip off his shirt, he's wearing the singlet, He's 62 years old, and yet he's wrestling as if he's, like, two decades younger than that. It blew me away. It took me back to a time when I was watching as a younger fan. He might not have been moving nearly as well as he did back in WCW or even early TNA days, but you can definitely tell that he came into this match with a purpose, and that was to show that he wasn't just some broken down legend he wasn't some novelty act that aew got so that they could sell some t-shirts and action figures he is still very good as a wrestler and it's definitely something to be said when you have a match that features darby allen and ethan page and scorpio sky all of whom have their strengths to be sure it says something when the 62 the 62 year old sting is the mvp of it all he looks so good. Like, I was stunned. And had I known this thing was just going to happen, like, I feel like I wouldn't have been as um, much of a jerk when it came to talking about him in recent weeks. Like, I feel like had I known that Sting was just going to turn back the clock, like, in nobody's business, man, I would have been like, oh, this match is going to be great. I just didn't think... I didn't think he was going to do all of what he did. He took a suplex on the ramp. He he had a dive from the poker chips onto everyone. Like, it was... I was stunned. I was just stunned. I was so happy to see it. He already has more wins in AEW than he did in his very short stint with WWE. So just take that for what you will. Um, which, you know, it's kind of sad to say out loud. That being said, 
I more so want to ask you, what what would you do with Sting moving forward? Do you keep him with Darby? Uh, how do you? I mean, I definitely only use him for pay per views. That goes without saying. But is there anyone you know, considering he was able to turn back the clock here, that you think, hey, maybe this would be a pretty good match, even if it's just a tag, which is probably the safer bet for Sting nowadays. That's a good question. What would you do with Sting moving forward, especially now because we, we've seen that he can still go at a relatively solid level. And I know this sounds very, I guess, hypocritical, especially considering how much we've crapped on him. But I could see Sting and Cody having a feud down the road because when you think back to Sting's early times in AEW and he would confront... Cody, uh, I remember that one segment where Sting had his arm around Cody, and he was like, and he said, "See you down the road, kid," and just, you know, and nothing really came of that. So, if you wanted to go down that road, obviously there's a built-in narrative there, and it could lead to Cody turning heel because let's be honest here, no one's booing Sting, right? Like, no one's going to boo the guy. Not a chance. Yeah, so that's a possibility. I don't know if you want him in world title contention at this age, so I guess a feud with Kenny Omega's off the table. But that's not to say that he can't do other things in the company. It's just a matter of you know, w- what the story entails. Yeah, I think Cody and Sting's a good shout. I think uh, that one actually makes a lot of sense, especially since that is a match that Cody really wants as a Sting mark, per se. Which, you know, I respect that. I respect the hell out of that. If Cody's, like, going to use his um, vice president power to be executive, whatever he's called, uh, to get a match with Sting. Like, I I respect that like crazy. Like, yeah, go get the match with your uh, idol. Like, Mm -hmm. hell yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Something I was thinking about was, you know, he can just continuously team with Darby, maybe have a little... uh, tag title match with the Young Bucks perhaps? Maybe? I think that would be pretty fun. Now, you don't... You you have Darby to take a lot of the fall, which is always brilliant. And even just the match, like, they don't have to win the titles, but I think a match with the Young Bucks could be great. Just please, 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 please don't put up Sting for the Meltzer driver. I will die inside. Please don't do that. I I don't want to... I don't want to think that AEW's that short-sighted to do such a thing. I think they understand what Sting's limitations are physically. But speaking of Darby Allen, if Sting wasn't the MVP of this match, I would say Darby took that big spot where Ethan Page hoisted. So our co-main event, which you know angered me in a sense that I thought this should have been the main event, but of course I knew that Stadium Stampede essentially had to go on last. It wasn't a it wasn't a situation where you really could have the crowd watch on a screen and then do it. But I guess the way they did it, you could have. Anyways, anyways, let's let let me stop complaining there and complain about something else instead. Uh, so the AEW World Championship match: Kenny Omega defends against Pac. Orange Cassidy. To me, I thought what this match was was not only the best match on the card, 
the match that delivered the most for me. It established a new main event star, and it uh, reaffirmed something for me when it comes to Pack. I want to hear your thoughts on this because I thought out of anyone, this made Orange Cassidy a legitimate main eventer moving forward. I don't think I could say it any better than you did. I feel like everything this match was set to accomplish, it did so very well. Especially when it comes to someone like Orange Cassidy, who I assume a lot of fans looked at this match and saw him as the wild card or the black sheep. No one really knew what to expect of him. And it's easy to look at Orange Cassidy and see nothing more than a gimmick. An entertaining one, sure, but just a gimmick. And it's easy to forget that he's very good at wrestling. You know, When he can go, and he can, he can go. He can go at a very high level. So when he was announced for this match alongside Omega and Pac, I wasn't nearly as surprised as others were. Yeah, and you know what's funny? When I thought this was originally just going to be Omega and Orange, which it certainly looked like with the promo and everything, I was I wasn't feeling it because I mean, I, if you follow me, if you've listened to my show, you know how much of a fan of Pack I am, and I just thought, you know, if they have him just enter the Casino Battle Royal. It's just a waste. And I thought his entry into this match enhanced it in a whole different way because you have the past feud between him and Pac to feed off of. And then you have this new feud that's bubbling between Omega and Cassidy. And the way they planned out this match, for my money, was, you know, perfection. I thought... The idea of having Cassidy come so, so close to winning the gold was perfect. That's that's a lot to ask for. But with the fans on his side, the way that Pac was able to not only sell for uh, both men at points, but also just give it right back to both. I really thought this was, you know, everything you could have asked for in a world title match on a pay-per-view. Yes, I would agree. And I got to say, the crowd played a very vital role in how well this match went, especially when it came to Orange Cassidy, because every time he hit a big move, whether it was an orange punch or him having to put his hands in his pockets to break Omega's full Nelson hold on him, the crowd was responsive to everything. Like, he was their hero. Especially when it came to moments where it looked like he was going to win the title. And then Don Callis just pulls the referee out. And the referee has to, you know, eject him from the from ringside. And as this is happening, you can hear the crowd chanting, Fuck you, Don. Fuck you, Don. And the they, crowd, they, were, man. They, they were into it, man. And they... Not only did they like the show, but, you know, they loved Orange Cassidy. And I'm sure there were a number of them that hated Don Callis at that moment. Speaking of which, you want, you want to talk about hatred, man? You, you got to find someone in life that loves you the same way that Tony Schiavone hates 
Don Callis <laughs> because <laughs> the between those two has been fantastic. Yeah, Shivani's really uh, fantastically made his commentary um, amazing when the elite are wrestling. Like he hates them. Oh, and MJF. Like he is very open on hating all of them. And it always leads to just some fantastic banter because I think there was a point where uh, Tony said something about either Kenny or the Young Bucks early in the match. Jim Ross was like, he actually played along and was like, wow, all right, well, uh, just don't hate someone as much as uh, Tony does or something like that. And I just laughed at that. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that was a great point. Um, and for me, again, this match reassured something that I've fully believed in, and that is that Pac is AEW's most complete performer. Not only is he one of their best promos, but he is one of their best in the ring every single time. His ability to be methodical but also fast-paced is incredible, and I don't know how long you go without putting a title on this man like the he doesn't need a title to feel important but there will be a time where you just want to title this guy up in some shape some way shape or form whether it be trios or AEW world title which i think he'll hold down the line or tnt title like that is something you want pack to have sooner rather than later give him give him a direction moving forward yeah, I would agree on that point too. It, it's funny because to me, I've you know I've made it a point to say that Brian Cage feels like this perfect balance of power and speed, but I think that Pack has him beat just because there is that added intensity and you know that that visceral approach that makes him that much more legitimate and entertaining to watch. And I could also see if AEW does introduce Trio's Tag Team Championships, which uh, it seems to be one of those prevailing rumors, you know, Death Triangle could very well be in that spot. They could very well be the first champions. And you have some some decent challengers for those titles as well. You know, Matt Hardy and Private Party, uh, Jurassic Express. So there are possibilities there if if that ever comes to fruition. Yeah, I just want that triangle to have direction. That's what I ask every single week on this podcast, every single week on Twitter. That's all I want. That is all I want at AEW. You can do whatever you want else. You can have – never mind. I was about to go down a road that I did not – I took <laughs> I took back instantly. I was about to say you can have Cody do whatever he wants, and then I was like, well – that's not true. I I can't I can't just accept that. We already saw Cody doing whatever he wants last a few weeks ago, and it resulted in Robbie telling me to go fuck myself. So that's uh, I said a lot of things. I said a lot of things on that episode. You man. you <laughs> you did you did, and it's funny because we had an error during that episode. Like you were already starting off, you were getting into yeah. it, and somehow yeah. you were able to recapture all of that anger and put it out in maybe an even better way, which is impressive. And man, it's great stuff. But let's get to the main event of the evening stadium stampede two, the inner circle versus the pinnacle. If the inner circle loses, they 
have to disband forever. Uh, I want to start off by saying I don't understand how you follow up a blood and guts war games, whatever you want to call it, match with a stadium stampede match. To me, that is backwards thinking. I think blood and guts should be the blow off of a feud, not the beginning. And following the result of this match, I don't know if this was even the end. So how did you feel about the match itself and the result? Um, as the main event for Double or Nothing, uh, it was good. I think I would have preferred the three-way match for the World Championship going on last, but I guess the idea, at least from AEW's standpoint, was to send the first traditional crowd in quite some time home happy. I think that was the goal here. And if that was the case, then I guess mission accomplished, but definitely uh, peculiar to have a stadium stampede match or any sort of match where you splice um, pre-recorded and live footage. It's, it was definitely an experiment. I don't know if it hit all the notes, but there were some fun parts here that I think at the very least made me chuckle. So getting LAX was by far my, probably my favorite moment besides the ending. I thought uh, Conan showing up and then helping Santana and Ortiz was just awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought I actually thought Hager and Wardlow had a good uh, Haas fight at one point during this as well. And I'm not a big Hager fan. I literally said last on our preview episode that if he just had nothing to do after this, I wouldn't be upset. But I thought he had a good showing. Um, I think the chairs thing with Sean Spears was so stupid. It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought that was. Good. Uh, Jericho and MJF actually had a pretty good battle around the arena. Like when I knew the match was main eventing, I was I was notably a little bit upset, but they they won me over. I didn't think this was uh, near the quality of last year's stadium stampede, and I think it's mostly because they barely used the actual stadium, and they mostly just you know it turned into a backstage brawl, but. I, overall, I thought it was good, and the ending of having Sammy Guevara be the man to keep the inner circle together, I thought was, uh, in a word, chef's kiss in terms of storytelling and the idea that Sammy Guevara finally gets his comeuppance. The only thing I guess I would have asked for is he pinned MJF, but I knew that was never happening. Sean Spears, of course, is the pinnacles uh fall guy yeah um i think that that was probably the best way to do it especially given the fact that sammy guevara in the previous stadium stampede match was the the guy that took the brunt of that of that punishment like think back to him trying to outrun that golf cart couldn't do it got clipped for it and now he's the one behind the driver's wheel chasing down sean spears and now he's now he's trying to mow down Sean Spears, which he eventually did. So very very fun uh, callback. There there was quite a bit of comedy in this match, which I don't necessarily mind because you know it's wrestling. You know it is what it is. Such as Jericho attacking MJF with that cardboard cutout of Shad Khan. 
Um, that was quite funny, especially when I said, you're going to be in so much in trouble. So in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and MJF goes, what? And then he smashes him in the head with the yeah, so they got that going. They had that going, which I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, like you said before, Conan making his cameo was that that popped me a little bit. By the way, outside of Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, probably my favorite member of Filthy Animals. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the <laughs> point. get yeah. See, you get an earthquake reference. You get a WCW reference. Um, I'm like a I'm like a hodgepodge man. I always appreciate references. And I did want to note, which is something that I don't think nearly enough people are talking about, is that we've had three double or nothings, and Chris Jericho has been the main event of all three. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was. You know, started, you know, pretty much kick-started AEW's ascent with that, uh, with that match between Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. So that... You know, Chris Jericho is very instrumental in building AEW to where it is today. And last night was the man to, one of the men to close out the show. So I don't think Jericho's importance to the company can be understated. Yes, he may not be at the same level that he was years ago, but I think given his age, given his longevity, um, you know, it's it's impressive to see just how far he's come and how hard he continues to work. What's also crazy is the AEW World Championship has not main evented Double or Nothing yet, which is kind of crazy. Consider, I mean, the first time it was just not going to happen. The title wasn't real. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think for a pay-per-view that I consider probably AEW's biggest, um, Kind of shocking. Now, of course, it was announced that All Out will be in Chicago, so maybe I'm going to eat my words and just accept All Out is their biggest show. Um, and Full Gear is in St. Louis. Would love personally to get to one of those, but hey, we'll see. Now, let me ask you, Robbie, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your rating for this pay-per-view as a whole? See, that's the thing. With, with me, I don't typically assign number ratings or star ratings to matches and shows because then you kind of have to find yourself in a situation where you have to be consistent with them and i I feel like i'm pretty good at different things but consistency with ratings is not that but but i think if i'm looking at the show overall right highs and lows how much i enjoyed it um i would say that um an eight out of ten i'll even go as far as high as like an 8.5 out of ten all right all right good show for you overall uh, i'm i'm gonna say seven seven and a half i think there was a lot of good that outweighed the bad here uh, i think the bad was really only two matches um because otherwise either a match had a big moment or it was just really good so I'm going to go 7.5. I like your 8.5. I could definitely see that. I think I'm probably weighing the Cody and Miro match just a little too much. And my final question for you before we wrap all this up is I want you to try and predict the all-out main event, which happens in September. The all-out main event. Shoot. You know, 
I may be going on a bit of a limb. It's very possible that I am. But I'm going to say that eventually Hangman Page climbs his way to the top. And he eventually does so with a win over Kenny Omega at All Out. I think that's going to be the main event. I love it. I love it. I didn't know if uh, you would go with that or Full Gear. I've been kind of uh, back and forth, but All Out in Chicago, that's, you know, still four months down the line. I definitely feel like that's a reasonable spot. I mean, it's three months down the line because it's the end of the month, but man, that would, that would be great. Uh, I'm, I'm with it. If that's what they go with, uh, I'll try to give something different just because that's the purpose of the show. Even though I agree with you, uh, I'll say they do Kenny and Christian cage at that show. I think that's, they'll hold that off for that show. And then we'll get Hangman in full gear. But I'm hoping you're right because with the full crowds back, Hangman's going to only get hotter and hotter. And I think the fans are going to be buzzing for that match come all out. Robbie, as always, thank you. Uh, Let me ask you real quick. Do you have any uh, remaining thoughts or anything on the pay-per-view? Well, um, as far as my closing thoughts are concerned, uh, generally speaking, very solid show. I feel like the low points of the show were definitely low, but they didn't last too long. Uh, like you said before, there re- were really only two you know, difficult matches to sit through, those being Cody Agogo and Miro Archer. And even then, those were the two shorter matches of the night, so I guess I didn't weigh them as much. For those reasons, so it, it, it is what it is. Uh, generally speaking, I liked this show. I like that we're finally getting these crowds back. Uh, they definitely make a difference. It, it's it's good that we finally have that sort of organic response that wrestling needs. All I ask is that people attending these shows uh, be safe. Um, you know, follow any safety guidelines that these venues set up, and enjoy yourselves. Love that, love that. And I actually just thought of one last thing. I saw a lot of people call this their show of the year. Would that resonate with you as well? That is a good question. I don't know if I can call it call it that because we are still, you know, we're like halfway into 2021. So it's a little difficult for me to say whether this is going to be the show of the year. Do I think of it as a contender? For that title, uh, yes, I, I definitely think it is. Me too, me too. I don't. I think I've seen maybe one or two shows that are maybe better, but I mean, in the end, wrestling is all of opinion. There is no uh, right answer necessarily, unless it's uh, my, my opinion. Usually, those are right, of course. Um, that being said, <laughs> Robbie, thank you for coming on. And I look forward to doing this again down the line. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much again for having me on, Scotty. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And hey, I didn't even go off on a tangent this time, so I got that going for me. Yeah, I failed at my job. I was trying to get you. Didn't work. But again, thank you. Thank you, Scotty.
また美学でしょう。